European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 45, Focus Issue, Interventional Cardiology, by Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Percutaneous Coronary Interventions, More Complex Than Fixing Stenoses. For over 20 years, a combination of aspirin and a P2Y12 inhibitor has been the mainstay antithrombotic strategy in patients undergoing percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI. This drug combination, referred to as dual antiplatelet therapy, or DAPT, has been proven superior to aspirin alone in preventing cardiovascular events after stent implantation, although at the expense of increased bleeding. Contemporary advances in device technologies and pharmacological strategies have allowed extending PCI to older and more vulnerable cohorts. As such, an increasing number of patients undergoing PCI have high bleeding risk or HBR conditions, which makes the standard DAP regimen clinically undesirable. The TWILIGHT trial recently demonstrated that ticagrelor monotherapy after a short course of DAPT is an effective and safe bleeding avoidance strategy among high-risk patients undergoing PCI. This focus issue on interventional cardiology contains the fast-track contribution ticagrelor monotherapy in patients at high bleeding risk undergoing percutaneous coronary intervention, Twilight HBR, by Javier Escand from the Complutense University of Madrid in Spain and colleagues. This pre-specified analysis of the Twilight trial evaluated the treatment effects of early aspirin withdrawal followed by ticagrelor monotherapy in HBR patients undergoing PCI with drug-eluting stents. After three months of ticagrelor plus aspirin, event-free patients were randomized to 12 months of aspirin or placebo in addition to ticagrelor. A total of 1,064, or 17%, met the Academic Research Consortium definition for HBR. Ticagrelor monotherapy reduced the incidence of the primary endpoint of Bleeding Academic Research Consortium, or BARC, 2, 3, or 5 bleeding, compared with ticagrelor plus aspirin in HBR, 6.3% versus 11.4%, hazard ratio, or HR, 0.53, and non-HBR patients, 3.5% versus 5.9%, HR, 0.59, with similar relative. P for interaction equaling 0.67, but a trend towards greater absolute risk reduction in the former, minus 5.1% versus minus 2.3%. Difference in absolute risk differences, or ARDs, minus 2.8%, P equaling 0.130. A similar pattern was observed for more severe BARC 3 or 5 bleeding, with a larger absolute risk reduction in HBR patients minus 3.5% versus minus 0.5%. Difference in ARDs, minus 3%, P equaling 0.008. There was no significant difference in the key secondary endpoint of death, myocardial infarction, or stroke between treatment arms, irrespective of HBR status. The authors conclude that among HBR patients undergoing PCI, who completed three-month DAPT without experiencing major adverse events, aspirin discontinuation, followed by ticagrelor monotherapy, significantly reduced bleeding, 
without increasing ischemic events compared with ticagrelor plus aspirin. The absolute risk reduction in major bleeding was larger in HBR than non-HBR patients. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Zuzana Motowska and colleagues from the Charles University and University Hospital Karalovske Vinoharade in Prague, Czech Republic. The authors note that twilight HBR analysis raises new questions in the field of antithrombotic therapy management. How should we deal with long-term, greater than 15 months, antiplatelet treatment after PCI? Should we continue with ticagrelor monotherapy or switch to clopidogrel or aspirin, or even aspirin plus rivaroxaban? Before deciding, it's essential that the patient's risk profile is re-evaluated. It should also be emphasized that carefully considering the patient's preference, whose compliance with treatment fundamentally affects its benefits, is crucial when deciding on the long-term treatment plan. The value of elective coronary revascularization plus medical therapy over medical therapy alone in managing stable patients with coronary artery disease is debated. In another fast-track clinical research article entitled Cardiac Mortality in Patients Randomized to Elective Coronary Revascularization plus Medical Therapy or Medical Therapy Alone, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. Eliano Navares and colleagues from the University of Alberta in Canada reviewed all trials comparing the two strategies in this population. From inception through November 2020, Medline, Embase, Google Scholar and other databases were searched for randomized trials comparing revascularization against medical therapy alone in clinically stable coronary artery disease patients. Treatment effects were measured by rate ratios, or RRs, with 95% confidence intervals using random effects models. Cardiac mortality was the pre-specified primary endpoint. Spontaneous myocardial infarction, or MI, was a secondary endpoint. Longest follow-up data were abstracted. 25 trials involving 19,806 patients, 10,023 randomized to revascularization plus medical therapy, and 9,783 to medical therapy alone, were included. Compared with medical therapy alone, revascularization yielded a lower risk of cardiac death Relative risk, or RR, 0.79, P being less than 0.01, and spontaneous MI, RR, 0.74, P being less than 0.01, while all-cause mortality, 0.87, P equaling 0.11, and NEMI, P equaling 0.14, did not differ significantly between strategies. The authors conclude that in stable coronary artery disease patients, Randomization to elective coronary revascularization plus medical therapy led to reduced cardiac mortality compared with medical therapy alone. The cardiac survival benefit after revascularization improved with longer follow-up times and was associated with fewer spontaneous MIs. The article is accompanied by an editorial by William Bowden from the Boston University School of Medicine and David Brown from the Washington University School of Medicine in the USA. Oden and Brown highlight that trial-level meta-analysis of agnostically selected studies with minimal clinical and statistical heterogeneity 
that assess relevant patient-centric endpoints can provide accurate, objective, and clinically meaningful estimates of the effect size of one therapy versus another. The authors hope readers of this paper will be both circumspect and wise in interpreting the totality of evidence that should inform our beliefs and decision-making in the guideline-endorsed management of CCS patients, namely an OMT-first approach to reduce symptoms and events, and one which considers revascularization only for improvement of quality of life in those whose symptoms are either unresponsive or refractory to OMT. Fractional flow reserve, or FFR, guided revascularization, as compared with angiography-guided PCI, improves the outcome. The utility of measuring FFR after PCI is less certain, but post-PCI FFR values are reported to be inversely associated with adverse cardiac events. In a third fast-track clinical research article entitled Post-Stenting Fractional Flow Reserve versus Coronary Angiography for Optimization of Percutaneous Coronary Intervention, Target FFR. Damien Collinson from the University of Glasgow in the United Kingdom and colleagues note that Target FFR is an investigator-initiated single-center randomized control trial to determine the feasibility and efficacy of a post-PCI FFR-guided optimization strategy versus standard coronary angiography in achieving final post-PCI FFR values greater than or equal to 0.90. After angiographically guided PCI, patients were randomized one-to-one -to, -one to receive a physiology-guided incremental optimization strategy, or PIOS, or a blind coronary physiology assessment control group. The primary outcome was the proportion of patients with a final post-PCI FFR greater than or equal to 0.90. Final FFR less than or equal to 0.80 was a prioritized secondary outcome. A total of 260 patients were randomized. In the PIOS group, 30.5% underwent further intervention, stent post-dilation and or additional stenting. There was no significant difference in the primary endpoint of the proportion of patients with final post-PCI FFR greater than or equal to 0.90 between groups, P equaling 0.099. The proportion of patients with a final FFR less than or equal to 0.80 was significantly reduced when compared with the angiography-guided control group, minus 11.2%, P equaling 0.045. The authors conclude that over two-thirds of patients had a physiologically suboptimal result after angiography-guided PCI. An FFR-guided optimization strategy did not significantly increase the proportion of patients with a final FFR greater than or equal to 0.90, but did reduce the proportion of patients with a final FFR less than or equal to 0.80. The article is accompanied by an editorial by David Erling and Matthias Gottberg from the Lund University in Sweden. The two conclude that Collison et al. should be congratulated for completing a well-performed randomized trial on the important question of post-PCI physiology. Interventionalists should be encouraged to make physiological measurements, including pullback to identify patterns of disease, not only before PCI, but also after stenting to understand the physiological effects of their procedure and to optimize the results.
Whether this will result in an improvement in clinical outcome remains to be demonstrated by larger randomized trials. Evidence suggests that in some patient categories, such as those with diabetes mellitus or DM and or acute coronary syndromes, decision-making on revascularization based on FFR is associated with an excess of cardiovascular events compared to patients without such clinical features. It has been proposed that atherosclerosis progression and destabilization of angiographically intermediate medically treated lesions is considerable, particularly in DM patients, and responsible for the majority of the adverse events during the follow-up. In a clinical research article entitled Thin Cap Fibroatheroma Predicts Clinical Events in Diabetic Patients with Normal Fractional Flow Reserve, the Combine OCT-FFR Trial. Elvin Kedhi and colleagues from the Medical University of Silesia in Poland sought to understand the impact of optical coherence tomography, or OCT, detected thin cap fibroatheroma, or TCFA, on clinical outcomes of DM patients with fractional FFR negative lesions. The combined OCT FFR study was a prospective double blind international natural history study. After FFR assessment and revascularization of FFR-positive lesions, patients with greater than or equal to one FFR-negative lesions, or target lesions, were classified into two groups based on the presence or absence of greater than or equal to one TCFA lesion. The primary endpoint compared FFR-negative TCFA-positive patients with FFR-negative TCFA-negative patients for a composite of cardiac mortality, target vessel myocardial infarction, clinically driven target lesion revascularization, or unstable angina requiring hospitalization at 18 months. Among 550 patients enrolled, 81% of patients had greater than or equal to one FFR negative lesions. Among FFR negative patients, 25% were TCFA positive and 292, or 75%, were TCFA negative. The incidence of the primary endpoint was 13.3% and 3.1% in TCFA positive versus TCFA negative groups, respectively, P being less than 0.001. The Cox regression multivariable analysis identified TCFA as the strongest predictor of major adverse clinical events. HR 5.12, P being less than 0.001. The authors conclude that among DM patients with greater than or equal to one FFR negative lesions, TCFA positive patients represented 25% of this population and were associated with a five-fold higher rate of MACE, despite the absence of ischemia. This discrepancy between the impact of vulnerable plaque and ischemia on future adverse events may represent a paradigm shift for coronary artery disease risk stratification in DM patients. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Rasha Al-Lami from the Imperial College London and Gary Mintz from the Cardiovascular Research Foundation in New York. The authors conclude that we may need to move away from the concept that ischemia is the major driver of events and consider that it is only a surrogate for the burden of atherosclerosis. Contribution of plaque morphology to future events needs to be considered. 
more study is needed to direct its detection, and effective treatment strategies need to be developed. In a clinical research article entitled Ticagrelor Monotherapy in Patients with Chronic Kidney Disease Undergoing Percutaneous Coronary Intervention, Twilight CKD, Giulio Stefanini and colleagues from the Humanitas University in Milan, Italy, sought to assess the impact of chronic kidney disease, or CKD, on the safety and efficacy of ticagrelor monotherapy among patients undergoing PCI. In this pre-specified sub-analysis of the TWILIGHT trial, the authors evaluated the treatment effect of ticagrelor with or without aspirin according to renal function. A total of 1,111 patients, or 16.3%, had CKD, estimated glomerular filtration rate less than 60 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared. Ticagrelor plus placebo reduced the primary endpoint of Bleeding Academic Research Consortium, or BARC type 2, 3, or 5 bleeding, as compared with ticagrelor plus aspirin in both patients with CKD, 4.6% versus 9%, HR 0.50, and without CKD. 4% versus 6.7% HR 0.59, P for interaction equaling 0.508. But the absolute risk reduction was greater in the former group. Rates of death, myocardial infarction, or stroke were not significantly different between the two randomized groups, irrespective of the presence or absence of CKD. Stefanini and colleagues conclude that among CKD patients undergoing PCI, ticagrelor monotherapy reduces the risk of bleeding without a significant increase in ischemic events as compared with ticagrelor plus aspirin. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Robert Storey and William Parker from the University of Sheffield in the United Kingdom. The authors conclude that further insights may be gained from the ongoing Duration of Dual Antiplatelet Therapy, or Dual ACS, NCT 03252249, trial that is planning to randomize approximately 19,000 patients with ACS to 3 or 12 months of DAPT, albeit in an open-label fashion. In the meantime, current ESC guidelines recommend, except in those with contraindications or excessive bleeding risk, DAPT for greater than or equal to 6 months after PCI for CCS and greater than or equal to 12 months if for ACS, including in those with CKD. The issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled, Cardiac Death Should Be the Primary Endpoint for Revascularization Trials and Meta-Analyses, Harvey White from the Auckland City Hospital in New Zealand and colleagues Comment on the article published in this issue entitled Cardiac Mortality in Patients Randomized to Elective Coronary Revascularization Plus Medical Therapy or Medical Therapy Alone, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis by Eliano Navares from the University of Alberta in Canada. Navares et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.